it's true that we choose everything in this world and that everything that happens to us as A Course in Miracles and a thousand other teachings have said is what we have asked for. It comes in the way that we've asked for it. But this is actually a very difficult concept because most people think that it calls for judgment, that there are good decisions and bad decisions, that there is right and wrong behavior, regardless of the tone of the heart during the behavior. And so, for example, the ego thinks that there's a difference if we choose constipation or a vacation in Spain. <laughs> I, this is no slight on Spain. I, you understand? I <laughs> that there's a difference between choosing to go to the movies or choosing to die of cancer. There isn't any difference within the world. All decisions are the same. And some decisions do not call for guilt. And others do not call for us to look upon someone and judge them, and be harsh with them. Gentleness is indeed the answer to every call for help. And that includes our own calls for help. It has been said that if it's right, it's easy. And of course, ultimately, that's true. There's nothing easier than that which is true and real. And there's nothing that's more difficult than trying to make illusions into realities. But we must take ourselves where we are, and where we are is we are caught at the moment between a set of conflicting desires. And that's why this particular stage that we are in is so difficult. It's good to see that it's difficult so that we don't think that we have somehow been singled out for some celestial punishment in this regard. There are many things within the world that we still long for. There are many things that can glitter that we will go running after. And it really doesn't matter what they are, whether it's a new religion, a new form of meditation, new car, new disease, doesn't matter. But it is good to recognize that the thing that makes all this so hard is that as our ego calls to us, and for each person here, there are a, di there are a different set of voices in the world. Different things will call to you than to someone else, although there may be considerable overlapping. And as you go through the day, you will hear these calls. These are ancient desires that you've carried with you a long time. And it will say, why not do such and such? Why not feel this way? Why not interpret what so-and-so said in this way? 
and you still have a great longing to pursue that path. And now the conflict begins because you have begun to sense how luxurious, how happy, how rapturous is the peace of God. And you know in your heart you cannot go running off after this, whatever it is, and have peace. And so there's the conflict and there's the difficulty. And there's even the confusion. Should I or shouldn't I do that? And always that question of should I or shouldn't I do it comes from the ego. True religion is questionless. True religion has no issues. How can there be an issue in the wholeness and the oneness and the peace of God? There is no question about it. And so anything that raises an issue or any time you find yourself questioning a brother or a sister, this is coming from the ego no matter how spiritual the terminology is. True religion teaches only one thing. Love and peace and forgiveness. There is nothing more to learn than that. We are already in God. We dream that we are a body, but we are in God. We are at home. There is nothing for us to do. We have already been saved, if there is such a thing as being saved. It has already happened. God is not mocked, says the Bible itself. The Bible itself says he saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good and he's not mocked. As we would be mocked if someone asked us to go make a, a door and hang it in their home and the door didn't close properly or the door broke down, that would mock our creation, wouldn't it? And so often what we have done in this world has been mocked. It mocks us. It was not good work. God did not make junk. And his creation does not mock him. And even the Bible in three different places says there is no death. There's nothing to do except to awaken. There's nothing to do but to awaken. And what does it mean to awaken in God? Well, God is happiness and God is peace. Now, these words are, they're like kachinas. Um, in, in some of the Indian culture, you have three different levels. You have gods. And then you have little statues that are made to represent the gods. And then you have people who dance like the statues that have been made. They don't dance like the gods, they dance like the statues, and then the statues represent the gods. That is what happens when we use words in describing God. We use words like happiness and peace and bliss and a great, great stillness. 
and a nice day that never ends. That's a kachina. It's just a word. It merely represents an experience. And so to waken God doesn't mean that we use those words. It means that we begin to value the experience, and that happens gradually. Do not underestimate your desire for conflict. Do not underestimate your desire for other people to be guilty. We want other people to be guilty. We want to be right and other people to be wrong. And that conflicts with our desire for peace. And so at the moment, it's as if we're on this bridge and it's blowing in the wind or something. And there's these two lands. The land that we're beginning to walk away from Justified anger, revenge, pettiness, running after this and that, panic, not enough time, no permanent anything, friendships or love or anything else. There's that land of chaos that we're beginning to walk away from. And then there's this other land we only hear about, this land of rest and peace and happiness, and oneness with your brothers and sisters. A full heart connection with no judgments, and no reservations, and no holding back. But those are just words. And now we're on this bridge, and it sort of blows in the wind, and and it seems like one moment we're walking back towards chaos and bitterness and depression and discouragement and so forth. And the next minute, we take a few steps. It seems like as soon as we take a few steps, then we then the whole world crashes in on us the next day. It's, it's not at all peaceful the next day. It doesn't seem like we're ever going to learn it. But we are going to learn it because it's so simple. Do you want to be happy? If so, now is the only time you can be happy. Do you want to be in heaven? Well, what is heaven? Heaven's just a word. Heaven is a place where there is no guilt. Do you wish to be in a place where there is no guilt? Then now is the only time you can be there. Do you wish to be in a place now where there is no guilt? Where everything you see is innocent? Then now is the time. How simple that is. All I have to do is to forgive and be kind and be happy right now. That's why we'll make it. Because all the confusion is a false issue. And all the questions we get caught up in. And should I do this and should I do that? Of course, it doesn't matter. It matters with what you do it. Do you do it with peace and do you do it with kindness? If so, do anything. You will not hurt another person. You will not hurt yourself. If you're at peace and you act in peace, and you act in generosity, and you let total acceptance be your guide. This church is not an arbiter of behavior.
I mention a lot of behavior here. I make a lot of suggestions about behavior. But they're just suggestions, things that you might try. If ever you hear anyone who attends these services telling someone else how they should behave, or you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't do that, then the whole point has been missed. It doesn't matter what you do. The same act in one situation can be quite kind in another. I, I, I was talking to someone this last week who was sick, and an individual brought this person over a very expensive uh, painting. And it made the person feel bad. They didn't think they deserved such a fabulous gift. John has recently been exposed to uh, chicken pox. And John has been offered uh, two weeks on an island in the Bahamas. Uh, and uh, I thought it was my duty to go along. You know, and, I promise not to get a suntan. I will remain spiritual in all respects. <laughs> so what do we do about the chicken pox? Well, there's the question of will he come down with the chicken pox once we get on the island? So we could worry about that. In fact, we did worry about it and even wondered maybe we shouldn't go. might be so awful because we can't leave the island. It takes three days just to get off of the island. The plane only comes every three days. And so there we would be, and he would have the chicken pox, and so what should we do? This wouldn't be fair to him. It wouldn't be fair to us. Do you see that there's no answer to that question? There is no answer to it. <laughs> There's no right or wrong. And so we just decided that it was more peaceful, seemed more peaceful for us to go. Now, how might you decide such a thing as that? Possibly I've told you the story about the, the woman that uh, who, whose daughter had a brain tumor. Uh, and she called Jerry, Jerry Jampolsky, and her daughter was now pleading to stop taking the chemotherapy, which it, after a certain point can become extremely uh, painful. And the mother was very, very confused. She didn't know whether or not to really to stop it or not. And you can see why this would be. Well, maybe if we kept it a little bit longer, uh, she would live. And yet, she's asking now that to all this stuff to be stopped. I, I don't remember exactly how old the daughter was. I think she was around 12, something like that. And so the woman called Jerry, and Jerry said, well, if you'd called me a couple of years ago, uh, I could have told you exactly what to do. <laughs> but he said, now I... I pray a lot, and I realize I don't know what to do. But I know that you can have a sense of what to do if you'll turn to the peace and within your own heart. And the woman got very angry at him, thought that he really did know what to do, and he just wasn't telling her. And uh, 
no matter how long they talked, uh, it was a very long conversation, uh, Jerry couldn't say anything to make her not angry. So the conversation ended, and then the next day, the woman called back, and she said, you know, after the conversation, I decided to do what you said. I just closed my eyes, and I looked in my heart, and I heard something. Do you know what I heard? There is no right or wrong. There is only love. Now, what's the answer? What then should she do? I've told you the story of a, of a woman who was carrying a child and went to a doctor's office to have an abortion. She was so diswrought that she had to leave that particular time. She came back a second time to have the abortion. She's extremely conflicted and confused as she sat there in the waiting room. And suddenly, a beam of light came through the window. She didn't know exactly how it was produced. It probably wasn't produced in any unnatural way. It probably came through the window that time of day every day. But she noticed a beam of light. Now, with the words that came to the first person and the beam of light that the second person saw, each woman knew exactly what to do. So it isn't the beam of light and it isn't the words. It is the peace. And the peace contains the answer. And often there is a symbol out there. And it may seem like guidance. It may seem that God actually uh, takes a beam of light and shoots it through the window or something. But it's the peace that gives the answer. And in the first case, the woman said, Oh, I love my daughter. I will honor her request. And then her husband came back a few days later and said, you stopped the chemotherapy and he was very, very upset about this. Once again, she remembered the words, there is no right or wrong. There is only love. Now, if she had been told to stop the chemotherapy, do you see what the situation would have been? She wasn't told that. She was told a true answer, an answer of the heart. An answer of the heart adapts and is kind and is gentle and takes everyone into consideration. If you wish to know whether or not your answer has come from God, the answer is if it causes no conflict, if it produces no bitterness, if it leaves no one out, if it's adaptable and malleable, if there's a softness to it, if there's a general application that makes the heart sing, indeed it has come from God or your higher self or whatever you want to call truth. And so she said, well, uh, that's all right. Uh, what do you want to do? And he said, I'm going to go talk to the doctor. So he went to talk to the doctor and the doctor said, I'm sorry, I cannot put her back on chemotherapy. I just cannot do it. That child has suffered so much. I just cannot do it one more time. And so they didn't put it. Put her back on chemotherapy. And the child died when Jerry and I were with her. And she was talking to an audience at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles.
and she was surrounded by parents who had lost children to cancer. That's when her child died. And all the children were there, all the uh, parents were there to comfort her. Did that make it a mistake that she died? Of course not. Okay, I'd like to ask you to do a little meditation here. Uh, a little, this is going to be a little game. If you'd close your eyes, we're going to play a little game. Now, I want you to think of three different uh, situations. Coming home at night after a day's work or whatever. Coming home at night, that's situation one. Situation two is shopping. And situation three is being at a party. So those are the three situations. Now, what I'd like for you to do is, first of all, think of a happy person. Now, you're going to think of a happy person coming home at the end of the day. You're going to think of a happy person at a party. And you're going to think of a happy person shopping. Now, think of a kind person doing those three things. A kind person coming home, as opposed to a happy person coming home. A kind person shopping, as, a per, as opposed to a happy person. A kind person at a party, as opposed to a happy person at a party. Just think of that for a moment. Now think of a peaceful person, a peaceful person coming home at the end of the day, a peaceful person at a party, a peaceful person shopping. Okay, do you see how crazy words are? Uh, what, did, what did the uh, peaceful person do at the party? Did, it, uh, did the peaceful person not eat celery at the party? Uh, did the happy person uh, stick whoopee cushions under people or, or uh, sit down at the piano and make everyone sing along? You, this, is, this is the thing about words. That, the, that we would think that there was a difference between being kind and happy and peaceful. You see how crazy that is? They're exactly the same thing. That's why we must look beyond the words. And that's why even though we talk about peace at this church, maybe more than anything else, it is exactly the same thing as kindness and forgiveness and gentleness and stillness. They're all the same thing. But if you don't watch out, your ego will use its definition of the word and uh, your spouse will say, Dear, uh, the uh, refrigerator just fell on me. I, 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 don't, I, I think I have uh, three minutes to live. And uh, you say, Well, it wouldn't be peaceful for me to stop watching the TV program right now. I'll come during the commercial break. It'll use it that way. Never will peace ask you to choose against another's true interests. Of course, maybe, I don't know, maybe their true interest is to leave at that particular time. I'm, uh, Last time we talked about 
peace as a baby, a baby that you carry. And your first interest is the baby. So everything is taken in consideration in regard to the baby. Is the wind blowing? Is it cold? Is there a jostling crowd? Perhaps you wouldn't walk into the jostling crowd. Perhaps you would take a little bit longer to get there and go this other way. What would you buy? What would you eat if the child were nursing? Everything, everything. How much sleep would you get? Everything is, is looked at in relationship to the child. And we've talked about another image might be a candle. You hold a candle and you wish for it not to go out. And so what do you do? The peace of God is just like that. But you don't have to use a candle or a, a baby. You can think of yourself as a bathtub if you want. Uh, and uh, you're full of warm water. You've got, uh, you've got your uh, Vita bath and your, uh, your toy motorboat, you know. <laughs> the one with the dual mercs, you know, and the torpedoes and everything. And uh, from the uh, celestial reservoir comes uh, the peace, and think of the drain as the uh, ego, you see. All right, so what do you do? Well, you don't wiggle your feet around too much. It might dislodge the drain. Everything's taken into It doesn't matter what image you use. But to have an image of the peace of God and to see that everything in this world can be looked at in relationship to the peace of God will start you on building within you a sense of how to make decisions. And they will have nothing to do with, oh, I can't uh, come right now because I'm watching the TV program. Nor will it dictate that you leave the TV program. It will have nothing to do with the TV program one way or the other. You will just have a sense of peace and you'll know whether to continue the chemotherapy or answer the phone or what. You will know. There will be no decision to make. True religion has no questions. True religion asks no questions, considers no issues, gets involved in no arguments. Whenever you find yourself arguing about anything, that's not true religion. The peace of God knows what to do. It does it easily and happily and without conflict. And so always your need is not to make a decision, but your need is for more peace. Now, as I say, this is at times easy and at times quite difficult. So, you're driving along, as I was. I was coming back from picking John up, and I was driving along. And for some reason, I, I, I had to get home quickly. I don't know. I mean, I didn't. There wasn't any reason. I just found myself in that state of mind in which I was sort of going around cars and uh, passing up cement trucks and, you know, doing all this stuff. Uh, and I realized that my little candle was flickering, this piece. And so I simply reduced my speed and, and the flame burned steadily. Do you see that? You're driving along at one speed, it flickers, and then you slow down. There is no right speed. There is a speed to drive at which the candle burns smoothly. It's interesting how many people die of botulism 
uh, and there's there's a uh, there's a hospital always full of people, uh, you know, who haven't died yet, and uh, and so the local station goes in, interviews them, and uh, they always say the same. Well, the food did smell kind of funny, you know. Uh, I, there was something sort of strange about that tuna fish, but you know, you can't throw out tuna fish. So do you eat the food if it's been left out? There's no answer to that, but there is an answer as to whether or not you have a question about it. Do you have a question about the food? Has it been left out? Has it been in the refrigerator too long? If there's a question, the candle is flickering because true religion has no question. And which is more important, saving the food or dying of botulism and making the front page. <laughs> Tuna company refuses to pay reward, or whatever it is. All right. you, walk, you begin to walk out the door and you're not dressed right. Now, do you continue out or not? There's no answer to that. But if you're conflicted about it, it isn't a question of whether or not you should be concerned about how you're dressed. It doesn't matter what you're concerned about. As long as you have an ego, you're concerned about something. And so if you're concerned about dr how you're dressed, then you see, is this disturbing me? So now you're caught between getting to the appointment on time and going back and correcting what it is that you're not happy about. Peace answers that question. And possibly you'll just go back and make the change. And possibly you'll say, no, I'd rather get to the appointment. And the peace knows exactly what to do. Now, those are all easy things I just mentioned. Getting a phone call during the TV program is a little harder. Now, <laughs> you see, what, what, should you, what should you do there? Or someone kicking your chair at the movie. Uh, are talking, or are, are the person in front of you is too tall? Should they have the operation now? <laughs> These are more difficult decisions because we are caught between two ego desires, and they're both strong. I wonder who's calling. You know, maybe someone's died. Many people leave their phone on all night long because maybe someone's died. And that's fine. Maybe that's such an important question. Uh, I'm not quite sure what they expect to do about it. But nevertheless, many people leave their uh, phone on for that reason. And for those people, it's much more peaceful to do so than it is to take the phone off the hook. So you've got two desires. Neither of them have anything to do with the peace of God. But here, possibly, you, you would need to do something a little bit more deliberate. Maybe you would close your eyes for a second and see what it is you want to do. And then you, maybe you'd answer the phone call, or maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you would turn around and ask the person, or maybe you would see it would be more peaceful to move. There's no right or wrong situation there. Now, it gets quite hard when... You have something like this, especially because we've talked about this. We've talked about, for most people, if you 
if you if you don't get enough sleep, if you don't get enough rest, it's very difficult to continue walking toward God, at least for the time that you're that you're all physically exhausted. There probably are people who can be physically exhausted and keep right on pursuing this gentle path. So what happens if your spouse wants to argue and it's late at night and the answer is either to go to sleep, cut off the other person, or to argue and miss the sleep and maybe have a bad day. You see, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? It would seem to be a difficult thing because now a little bit of a spiritual issue is, has entered in here. A situation like that might call for a definite break, such as uh, maybe going for a walk for a second or, or ducking into the bathroom uh, and, and really closing your eyes and getting in touch with your peace. Uh, someone asks you to do a favor and you've been having problems with your back recently and they've asked you to do this. Would you, hey, while you're here, would you help me move this sofa uh, over here? You know, I'm a poor old widow woman and I can't move sofas and and uh, someone has offered to buy this and uh, it's the only money I'll have to buy food with for a month <laughs> and uh, and yet your back is about to go out and you know if you pick up the sofa it's that's it it'll be fine what do you do there is no right or wrong there's only love there's only peace and so maybe you'll break with the situation Excuse yourself just for a moment. Then, of course, there is genuine confusion where we have actually confused something. And I see this a great deal, for example, with children. Um, there is a prevalent theory that children should learn to play by themselves. And there's something, of course, to be said for that. And so there are parents who do not play with their children because the child needs to play by itself. Now, here, what you have here is what would seem to be a, de a definite conflict between two different states or stages. We play games. Adults play games. It's the, the, diff the games are quite different than the, than the children's games, but the adults' games are quieter games. Because often an adult toward the end of the day is discouraged and tired, a little bit discouraged, maybe not a lot, but just a little bit discouraged and a little bit tired. So the games that the adult wants to play is sit and watch the TV or read the book or read the paper or uh, call so-and-so and chat, quiet, sort of a quiet game. The games that the child wants to play are often quite active and very repetitious of a young child, a very young child. But the child, if you look at the child, thinks of being played with as being loved. It's synonymous in the with a very young child. You can see a little smile come over a child's face any time an adult agrees to play with it. It's, it feels loved. And if a parent refuses all play, that child will feel unloved. But parents can re refuse all play and think they're doing the right thing. 
child needs to learn to play by itself. It should have very, very few toys or whatever the thing may be. And they can be genuinely confused about that. Then, a month later, a year later, or when they're grandparents, and now they're not, you know, they, they're looking back now on their child, and suddenly they realize, oh, children love to play. They have this need to play. And I didn't play with my child. That is ego. It was a genuine confusion. And I can promise you, you're doing 10,000 things right now in which you, without knowing it, are choosing something that is unpeaceful rather than something that's peaceful. Now, I'm not saying that you spend all your time playing with a child because, of course, uh, we get conflicted about this and we don't want to play and, and our, our sense of enjoyment has run out. And now we're sitting there playing with a child out of some sort of guilt or duty or something like this. And this is this making a child happy? Of course not. But if we had seen that the child's just different than us, it likes different kinds of games, maybe we would have played a little bit with the child. But now we're looking back at this and we see this mistake that we made. I didn't play with the child at all. I'd read that silly book that said, children must learn to face the world. The world doesn't play with them. Never play with your child. And I just read this book and I thought it was the most wonderful book and I, I, I saw him on Phil Donahue and so forth and well, that's all right. Spend one minute thinking about it or dwelling on, on it, and that's just ego. That's just a waste of time. And then possibly the hardest of all, the last being a genuine confusion, but this being something that maybe many people in this room are not quite ready for, is what A Course in Miracles calls a holy relationship. Now what do you do with your peace? And how do you know if you are in a holy relationship? You're in a holy relationship. You're in a number of holy relationships. But the people involved, you and the other person, may not be ready yet to actively pursue this because it may be that you have a picture of what a holy relationship should look like that is so rigid that any attempts that you make to form what you think of as a great love relationship would be destructive. Because there isn't anything to do about a holy relationship. And it is always safe to simply treat other people as your best friend and to be kind to them and not worry about whether or not this is the person with whom you're going to walk home. But if you know that you are walking home with this person, then this image can be extremely helpful. Now both of you are carrying the baby, and think of this, you've seen this. People shopping people out on the plaza or something like that. You've seen them, haven't you? They're actually both holding the baby. One has their arm around the other one, and they're kind of holding the baby. But what happens? Suddenly, someone gets something in their eye. And the other person does what? Takes the baby and carries the baby. Because the other person got in trouble. Now, it's not generally understood 
that this is happening all the time in the early stages of a holy relationship. Someone's getting in trouble and they cannot do it right now. And you've got to take over. You've got to take care of the peace. This happened in my relationship with Gail. There were two occasions in which Gail, I was so crazy. I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> I was so crazy uh, that she had to take over the relationship because I would have uh, walked out of the relationship. And uh, at that particular time, I remember once, she called up a psychiatrist and convinced the psychiatrist that she was suicidal and told the psychiatrist to call me and tell me that I couldn't leave. And the psychiatrist called me, and it worked. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed her, but I believed the psychiatrist. <laughs> I am not suggesting you do that. <laughs> this was pure inspiration. She somehow knew this is the way to make it work. What you do is... <laughs> And keeping a relationship together, of course, isn't the point. What happened was that in the early stage of our relationship, Gail recognized the deep bond between us, and I didn't. It was later that I recognized it. Now, at this particular time, in which Gail has been almost flat on her back now for uh, three months with the morning sickness and so forth, uh, then I now I have to carry the thing. Now, what does it mean to carry the peace? It means you give everything and you demand nothing. It will never hurt you to do that. But if the relationship, if your friend is in a bad place right now, if your friend's going through something, or your relative, or your child, do not be afraid to take care of their peace. We are the keepers of each other's peace. And even though we don't realize it yet, yet we never hold the candle by ourselves. You are always holding it with another person who may only be in your mind at the moment or may be physically with you. And if you can actively protect the other person's peace, you will begin seeing your holy relationships. They're already there. And so you realize this person is not peaceful. And you set out to help them rebuild their peace. And this calls for no particular behavior. It calls for the desire to do that and you will know what to do. And it may be to leave them alone. Maybe to say something to them. It, it, it may be anything. But never ask yourself what should you do or what should you say. Simply say, I want my sister, I want my brother to be peaceful. I am the protector of this person's peace. And you set out <coughs> to do it. In both of the situations with Gail, she had to carry the relationship for at least a year in both cases. A full year. And she did it. Peace makes happy but it doesn't attempt to change someone else's mood. It doesn't attempt to change anything. It doesn't try to cajole or kid someone out of their mood. Peace just makes happy. It doesn't try to change. Peace is total acceptance, but it is not fear of offending. And it is not doing nice things out of guilt. 
It's total acceptance, but there's no fear in it. There's no pussyfooting in it, tiptoeing around. There's no being afraid of someone else's reaction. You do not know what the results will be in the world of what you do. And do not worry whether or not your ego thinks they are pleasing or not pleasing. Because you will do things out of peace and it will seem to not work. You have no way of judging whether or not it's worked. Your part is in the effort and not in the results. And so you are a kind person, but you do not ask, what effect is this having? Because it makes no difference what effect it's having. That's all in the world. And it's just an ego. It may have pleased the ego. It may not have pleased the ego. And if it is causing a disturbance, possibly you would like to step back and try something else. That doesn't mean that you didn't do the first thing out of peace. But now maybe there's something else. Maybe you can see something more clearly now because of this effort. Peace is comfort. But it is not fear of inconvenience. It does not worry about the future and protect physical comfort. It is present comfort. Peace is simplicity but it is not withdrawal from the world. It is not running away from anything. It's just walking like a gentle breeze through the day. Peace stays in the present, but it does not let things go undone. To stay at peace in the present is the best preparation for the future that you can make. You will do what you need to do for the future if you are at peace. If you are filled with worry, there is a good chance you will not do what you need to do to have a peaceful life. Because confusion begets confusion. And present conflict and worry begets a life that must be filled with more worry. And if you are worrying, you are setting up the future and making the decisions that are necessary to continue a life of worry be at peace and you'll begin to make the decisions that will bring peace to your life. From time to time, I suggest an assignment. And I would like to suggest one now. We've talked a number of Sundays about watching thought and that when you watch thought, it comes back. And I've told you not to do anything but that. Just watch your thought and notice that it comes back to this instant. But do not try to hold it there. Now I'd like to suggest that you try to hold it there, but just for a little bit. Now you're going to try to hold it there. So you're going to watch the thought, and you're going to bring it back, because just watching it, it comes back. And now you're going to try to keep it in the present for just an instant or two. And I want you to use any trick that you need to to do this. We are retraining the mind. That's all we're doing. We're forming a new set of associations. Love works, attack does not. That's what we're forming. Kindness is happy. Fear isn't. That's all we're learning. And to have your mind in the present does it all at once. You sever the connection with what you think you are. Your old personality that comes in and fouls everything up cannot operate through your body it cannot control you. What happened to you when you were seven 
or the parents that you had or the genes or anything else cannot come in and control you when your mind is in the present. It has no link. So you do everything that you need to do when your mind is in the present. Use any trick, I would suggest, this coming week to hold it a little bit, just a little bit. No strain now, no guilt, but just a little bit. And let me give you some tricks. You all know these, but let me just remind you of some of these tricks. Some of them you'll like and some of them you won't, and maybe you'll think of another one that's, that I haven't mentioned. Many people use breathing. They just watch their breathing. I don't like that. I don't like watching my breathing, and I don't use it. But many people like it, and it's very helpful to many, many people. And I've heard some incredible stories of someone suddenly beginning to watch their breathing, and their whole personality changed right on the spot, and they were able to get themselves out of a crisis that they couldn't get out of. It's a trick. Whole systems have been built around this. Almost religions have been built around this. Entire ways home have been built around just breath and how to breathe. It's perfectly fine. It's as good as any other way. There is classically a difference between a yoga meditation and a Zen meditation. If I can be very, very loose with the terms, it's basically this. In a Zen meditation, you simply are aware of everything that's around you. And so right now, even with your eyes open, you're aware of all the colors around you. You're aware of the pressure against your cute little bottom. You may even be aware of the of the hair. I don't know who I was looking at. I, I was, I, <laughs> there's no significance in that. Uh, you're aware of sounds far off. You're maybe aware of the light above you and how it comes. Maybe you're aware of how it hits your eyelashes. Maybe you're aware of your breathing and certain tensions in your arm. It's a Zen meditation is aware of everything around you. It doesn't matter whether you call it a Zen meditation. That's just lots of times we associate it with that. And then the yoga meditation, and this is, I'm saying I'm using these terms extremely loosely, is an inner, inner awareness. But it's of an object. And so it's really not any different. And the object is your affirmation or your prayer or your word that you just begin saying. Now, someone told me that this last week after our talk last Sunday, that they woke up one morning and they started saying to themselves, I and my father are one. And they had one of the most incredible days that they've ever had in their life. And then the next morning they woke up and they started saying, I and my father are one. And it was a terrible, terrible day. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because I and my father are one, follow the desire for peace. The ego stepped in and said there is some magic to those words. It's the words that will do it. And there is a particular system that's based upon just saying a particular sentence. And if you say this sentence over and over again, you will get everything you want in this earth. And this is very widely believed. And so suddenly the person believes, oh, I need to say, I'm my father one. And of course it doesn't work. So first seek the peace. First go into your heart. And then let the words spring from the peace. And they are your words. And say them. That's another trick. 
to hold your mind in the present for a moment. Still another is the image that we talked about earlier of carrying the baby, the baby which represents peace, of keeping the, the bathtub filled with warm water or the candle lit, whatever phrase, but having peace. What do I do now? Peace is my object. How, what, how, what do I decide? How do I protect the baby? All day long. This will keep your mind present. Still another is, it's beginning, it's the beginning of a still mind, and for many people, they're not ready yet for a still mind, and it's not a possibility yet. They don't even know what it means to have a completely still mind. But if you're beginning to experience a little bit of stillness, then possibly you can simply remind yourself of the fact that there's nothing in this room. There's nothing out there. There's nothing on any street corner. There's nothing on any horizon but God. Nothing else is there. There is no world. It's an illusion. It's a hallucination. God surrounds you. You are in a sea of happiness. You are loved by everything there is and it's around you now. And one of the things you can do to hold your mind the present is just to open your heart a little bit to this ocean of softness that surrounds you. This I love you that echoes everywhere. And just see how soft it is out there for a few seconds.